0: Hey, how's it going? Good how are you? I'm pretty well. It's sort of one of those super humid late summer days here in New York. How is it up in Toronto? uh
1: it's probably about the same, but we got the news of Bannon being fired so that <gasps> that burns off the fog.
0: <laughs> yes, oh my god it's it's just one you know little ray of light in the darkness that is our timeline, but um. You got to hold on to those rays of light where you can find them. Absolutely, That is something that I think we can all be celebrating on this Friday. Of course, by the time this comes out, uh, who knows who will have that position or who, where Steve Bannon will be, because as we've all seen, this administration is erratic, I think is too generous a word.
1: The word you're looking for is bad.
0: Um, I was reaching for more letters, but that, that simple <laughs> word was right there. The one syllable. Um, and as a, a linguist, right, yes, yes. you would, you would know, um, so I'll defer to your expertise there. Um, and I think also maybe you're best known as the author of, um, your wildest dreams in which you teach people how to use the magic of lucid dreaming to experience the greatest time of their life without leaving bad. um, and that one came after Right Click to Riches, I think. Oh, yes, yes, uh, yes. There was Going Viral. These are all real books that you wrote. Um, yes,
1: all these absolutely real books.
0: And I found all these. I was actually looking for a picture of you uh, to use. And I discovered a whole a whole lot of books that you'd written that I did not know about. Um, I Think I'm So Smart. I Think I'm like Super Smart, a memoir, The Holy Bible, which was a little surprising to me. Um, I think one of my favorites was um, North Jutsu. North Jutsu, U- I think, was really good. These are all books. Um... These
1: are all <laughs> real books, and definitely not photoshops that my buddy Dave Melky made uh, to make fun of me.
0: <laughs> so you I were. To,
1: uh, actually, it's. It's. I think the book was called. i um, actually. It's Doctor Whom? <laughs>
0: You were involved in a book war with David Malky a few years ago, I just discovered.
1: It was fun. I, I owe him. He's been hitting me up. And so I owe him a couple. I have an image I want to Photoshop on my desktop for the past year that I found of him as a youth. And it's really embarrassing. And I can't wait to make it into an even more embarrassing book.
0: Oh, that's so exciting. These are, um, yeah, this this whole Tumblr is just chock full of, of I mean, you did get, get in some good ones on him, too, I will say. Um, Thank you you know uh although i did just see finger blaster to her majesty uh by sir Ryan <laughs> <and> North. <laughs> so uh a little hard to top that one but anyway real books uh real books that um are are less fictional um yes. you um put out a second choose your own adventure shakespeare book um uh yes, late, it is. was that late last year
1: uh I- I think so. I can't keep track of all my wheelings and
0: deals. <laughs> <laughs> you have so many. I got, I, I guess, like, I, I knew that, obviously, because I've been following your work for a long time, and, like, I knew that you just do a lot. And then I was sort of just making sure, like, just running down the list of everything um, prior to today, and was just like, there's so much. Oh, my God. Um, and with the Choose Your Own Adventure stuff, um, I think for people maybe who aren't aware of these books, like when people think Choose Your Own Adventure, they think like, I think most people might think like the, like the older sort of 80s and 90s style books. And sure. then uh, more recently, I think there's been this resurgence with like a lot of mobile um, text adventure games. And then also things like the Telltale games.
1: Yes, they do really good work.
0: They're amazing. Um, and I think what they don't picture is a gigantic tome uh, with, uh, you know, with with uh, stories within stories, with time travel mechanics, with mm-hmm. just this, like, th- as someone who who used to dabble in interactive fiction, and actually, the first time that we met um, was at IndieCade a few years ago. Um, I think you came oh, to a, a panel okay. that I was on, and you actually gave me a copy of the the first book, "To Be or Not to Be." But like I
1: said, because so- now I'm on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah i know it's all it's all like networks right just like planning out this kind of project but you know i used to do that stuff and my things were pretty small scale and sort of uh really kind of like focused and um like really small kind of interventions and the scope of these books is staggering to me and like do you have you developed some kind of system like i i envision either just like a kind of newspaper like a stereotypical like Crime insanity drama, wall. newspaper insanity wall,
2: <laughs> or yeah, that's, uh, yeah that, I don't know that's how
1: they used to be written. Was that you take a piece of paper and you take some strings and you draw connections between the nodes and the in, in your story graph, and you end up with this giant insanity wall. And that's one of the reasons the older books were so thin was that you only have so much wall space to tell the story. <laughs> but I was I was writing mine on a computer, so I used uh, there's some software called Twine that's actually meant for making interactive website stories. But you can use this software if you're willing to write your own software that goes on top of it to export it properly to write a book. And um, the neat thing about writing a book when you're doing this interactive fiction stuff is that state is really expensive, right? Like in a video game, you know this, in a video game, if you want to pick up the axe or don't pick up the axe, you just store whether or not they have the axe. Mm -hmm. But to do that in a book, you have to branch the narrative to one copy of the story where you have an axe and one copy of the story where you don't have the axe. And so unless you use that axe right away, it gets really expensive to keep track of whether or not you're carrying an axe around. So the, the format puts restrictions on the type of stories you can tell, which is interesting. But also the fact that I had this on a computer, I could see the visual map of the story and see how complicated it was. I could do more, I don't want to say the word adventurous, because <laughs> it's right there, with the more adventurous narratives. Um, there's a neat thing we did that I hadn't seen done before in... Um, Choose your adventures a trademark phrase, so I'll say in a nonlinear second person branching narrative, where uh, we had a. The time travel mechanic that you mentioned is a way to have a choice that is hidden from the player. So, what you do is you have a choice where you say, you know, you want to go left or right, turn to these two pages. And then the time travel ending, you say, hey, you're going to travel back in time. To unlock that part, look for a point where you can travel left or right, take those two pages, you know, add them together to take the square root, divide by two, add 13, and turn to that page instead. Mm. So it's a choice that's hidden in plain sight. And you get to make a joke with saying, if this sounds hard, you know, who said time travel was easy. <laughs> but it also lets you store the state of the book in the mind of the reader, which I think is a neat trick. Because it's you're now storing information in the player's mind, and that allows the book to do something that you couldn't do previously. I spent a lot of time thinking about choices in books
0: yeah what are some uh what are some kind of similar projects that you maybe researched or that you sort of wanted to to emulate can you think of anything like that or
1: um i i kind of this makes you sound like such a slob but i didn't do much research before i started because i'd read a bunch of choose your own adventure books as a kid and i loved them and so i had done that i guess i'd done the research when i was eight and i was like i got Mm -hmm. this it's all in my brain and i was going to base them off of shakespeare because to be or not to be is based off of Hamlet, and you have the choices. And I had forgotten uh, what Hamlet was really about. I hadn't read it since high school, you know? <laughs> and so in my mind, I thought Ophelia was this really, you know, kick-ass, powerful, modern woman character. Mm-hmm. And then I read the play, and, like, she <laughs> falls in love with a boy and then dies. <laughs> I was like, ah, she sucks. No one told me she sucks. I ended up uh, sort of rewriting the play to that extent where you can still make Ophelia do those canonical choices that Shakespeare made, but the book kind of rallies against you. Mm-hmm. And if you keep doing them, you actually lose control and the book's like, all right, fine, you do it, but move over, I'm driving, I'm making the choices mm-hmm. for a bit. So it punishes you for, for making those more aggressive choices. So there's, there's all this fun, I think, in the way the choices can reflect the narrative and what's happening in the story. There's another part where uh, you're there's a pirate battle in Hamlet that I also completely forgot about because mm-hmm. Shakespeare's running for the stage 400 years ago and you can't show a pirate battle on stage. So in the play, Hamlet goes off to England and uh, sort of comes back and he's like, hey guys, uh, we were attacked by pirates. I'm their king now. <laughs> Let's <laughs> all forget about it and get back to this business here in Denmark. And the audience goes, yes, that makes sense. But reading it from a modern point of view, you're like, what? There's a pirate battle? <laughs> 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 in the book, yeah, there's pirate battle. And when you're dueling the captain, you have a choice of what pun you want to make as you cut off various body parts. And in that choice part, during that climactic battle, you can't die. All your choices are going to be awesome. And my hope is when you read it, because you, you've been dying a lot probably mm-hmm. in this book, when you go through that and you're in this climactic scene, you keep winning. You'd be like, yeah, I am amazing. And then once you beat the captain, it's then fully possible to die again.
0: But
1: <laughs> when you're feeling great, you're invincible. <laughs>
0: Yeah. And that's one of the really fun things about um, even just introducing like the most basic level of choice into a narrative like that is, you know, without a whole lot of sophistication on the back end, you can really uh, do fun things with like the the player or reader's emotional state, right? So like if you set them up to believe that like, oh, there are like a lot of choices that are going to get me killed, but then have this long stretch where like none of them do, um, you can, yeah, you can create that sense of like accomplishment um, without... Uh, while sort of controlling for, like, you know, random choice or, like, the player's skill level.
1: Yeah, and it, it's neat because you're writing this story and you give this illusion of, this is the book where you get to decide, but it's fake, right? Because right. you can only decide things that I've decided you're already going to do. Mm-hmm. And that means there's certain restrictions on, on the sort of things you can do. And you'll never make a choice that I haven't planned for. <laughs> right. <laughs> <Or> going, <laughs> choosing that I'm not ready for. and so. Since you're always doing something that I expect as the author, you can you can have fun with that and, and make it feel like different things to the player and, and make that choice reflect their mood. In in Romeo andor Juliet, you started to if you play as Juliet, um, she's very controlled by her parents. And so I think her first eight choices are just your mom tells you to do something and your choice is to say, Okay, mom, and go do that thing and turn to that page to go do that thing. And so you're reading this and you're like, I wanna make a real choice I like, you feeling like trapped in <laughs> the same way the character is. And when people tell me what ending they first got in that book, it's a one you get when you play as Juliet, and the first chance you get, you run away from home. (laughs) 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 It's funny because in Hamlet, the choice most people got was the ending in which Ophelia invents the thermometer ahead of schedule and Uh of indoor heat at the same time. And I realized after everyone was saying this is the ending they got, I was like, oh, wait, that's the ending you get if you make rational choices (laughs) all through. (laughs) (laughs) If you're completely sensible all the way through, that's the ending you get. So it's neat It's neat how people reflect themselves in the characters they're playing. And the thing I love about it, and this might be getting kind of a deep cut, but the thing I love about non-linear narratives like this is that the player takes ownership of the choices in a neat way. Mm. So let's say I say Romeo is a boy who likes to kiss girls, and the reader goes, yes, I agree, I'm going to play as Romeo. And then halfway through, I give Romeo the option, I say, do you want to kiss him, this boy, instead of a girl? And the reader is not going to say, oh, uh, Ryan made a mistake here because he said Romeo was heterosexual before. What an error on the part of the author. They're going to say, oh, cool, I get to do this now, <laughs> even though <laughs> it seems like it's still be out of character. And so they get to make that choice, and they take ownership of the choice. And it's, it's the same way where, like, if you're playing Mario Brothers, people don't say, oh, Mario died, or, oh, my Mario died. They say I died. Mm-hmm. They made the choice. They're the ones who fell in the hole. And I love that. It's only in this structure of writing where you can break the first rule and instead of show, don't tell, you just tell. <laughs> <And> it, <laughs> the player's like, yes, tell me that. I will do that. I will play this way. Done.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's great. Um and it's it's kinda cool how you can um sort of offload some of that work into the, like the player's brain.
1: Yeah, it's it's really neat. I think the neat part of it is until maybe the past ten years when you start getting into computer games, really getting into this. There wasn't much work written in interactive spaces for adults. It was mostly written for a juvenile audience. Mm-hmm. And so you don't get to, you, you weren't seeing a lot of people, you know, fully exploring what you can do in this medium. And also people, you know, the same way people thought comics 10 years ago was for kids and you couldn't do serious work there. And of course you can, you can do serious work anywhere. It's always a medium, not a genre. <laughs> and the more people see that, the more you see this really like, like, Gone Home was an incredible computer game, I did stuff I hadn't seen done before in exploring the space of a story. And I've, I've, I'm so excited to see more and more stuff like that coming out that's just saying, let's do something new with the medium. Because you've got, you've got books, right? Novels are hundreds of years old. You read a great book, you say, oh, this is a great book, had a cool story. But you don't say, oh, this is a great book. It did something new with words, hadn't <laughs> seen done before. It, it pushed the form of the novel forward because the novel's kind of done. There's not a lot of new stuff happening there. At the same fundamental level, as there's new stuff happening in interactive fiction. There's new stuff happening in games that can launch entire genres that'll last a hundred years. I like guess it's, it's. You can tell I'm getting excited. It's exciting.
0: <laughs> Have you thought about like working on on a digital game project?
1: Um, a little bit. They're also a lot of work. They I mean, are a lot of work but uh, the thing with writing a book is that when you write the book you're done Mm -hmm. the thing with writing a game as i imagine is you write the game and then now you have to program it and now you have to do qa and localize it and it doesn't work on this machine fix there's a lot of (laughs) off of that so it seems like you need pardon me you need a team and uh right now it's just me so i haven't done anything Mm -hmm. superficial with it yet
0: yeah i know there is that there is yeah all kinds of compatibility stuff and with the book you don't really have to worry about if it's going to run on on different people's setups they've just sort of got it and it's good yeah um so on the topic of super mario actually
1: um, excellent yes i'm ready <laughs> let's
0: let's just dive in and break some blocks um and i was reminded of this thing and i i, I try to walk this line of um I don't. I don't want to be like go full Nardwar on people, but um, do you remember about ten years ago when yes. you linked to? It was by someone else. There was this this thing about creating Mario blocks.
1: Oh, Poster Child Mario blocks. Yes, I do. Yes,
0: yes. Um, and you had had talked about that on the Dinosaur Comics blog, and <laughs> I think um, like a bunch of girls in Ohio got arrested for making these, these like question mark blocks and leaving them around town.
1: Yeah, Marvino, Ohio. I remember that.
0: That's yeah. I just, I remember reading that. Um, yeah. Like in even like 2006 or something. That was just totally wild to me. I can't imagine now like what, what would happen? Like if they had been arrested then um, it seems somehow like it would only be worse at this point. Um,
1: well, the the thing with the website was, you know, here's, very simple templates how to make your own Mario blocks. Isn't it giving you a bit of kind of street art whimsy to see these blocks around town? And I think they were great. I thought they were fun and people would put like little presents inside and stuff. And it was, it was getting to be a big thing. And then, um, these young women in Ravina made these boxes and they made, they made some nice boxes but they made the mistake of instead of putting them, you know, in a park in a tree or something, they did that but they also put one, I think it was like on the steps outside the courthouse. Oh God. <laughs> And so, people called the Bomb Squad, because they thought it was just like Riddler-level bombs <laughs> with <question marks. laughs> it's Completely ridiculous. So there was this amazing image of this Bomb Squad guy jamming this question block. It was like, oh, no. And women came we forward, and they said, no, this was this was just street art. This is fine. And um, I believe the way it ended was they had to write a letter of apology to the city and say, like, this is why that was a bad idea, Like, a, like a like it's the eighteen hundreds, you have to write a letter of apology to the city. <laughs> and none of them actually spend any time in jail is nothing there are no permanent consequences okay, besides good. uh my phone started ringing a lot that night I'd be like, Have you seen the news from Ravina, Ohio? <laughs> um, so I I think I updated the site afterwards to be like, Hey, don't put these on courthouse steps. <laughs> You'll be fine.
2: Yeah,
0: I no, that does seem like a good um a good rule to sort of not do, not place things outside of like federal property. Um, that must have been around the same time as the, um, there was that Aqua Teen Hunger Force, like street marketing yeah. thing.
1: Yeah, that was, a, that was. Um, I think that came afterwards.
0: Yeah.
1: Afterwards it was like, yeah, this was again, the. what happened there? They'd made these digital Moon and Yeah, thing. the
0: Moon and Nights, and they had, they were like light rights kind of, um, and they had like, equipment attached to them that and they placed them like under bridges i think was the problem there
1: <laughs> and i think the, the lesson we can take away from this is when you're doing street art that involves uh either question blocks or electronics don't put them under infrastructure <laughs> or of federal buildings parks are great
0: parks are good
1: yeah the post to travel the question box got this, this really nice portal thing where he took photos of two areas of toronto different parts of the city Printed them onto these portal-style rings, and then built a life-size companion cube. Sliced it in half and put half an inch. So it looked like it was passing through the portal. Oh, and the okay. neat thing was, we saw one of these in the city. You could look in the background and see where the other one was, and then walk to that part of the city twenty minutes away and see the other half of the of the art. And that was really cool. And uh, that was that was again video game art, but that was stuck in the side of abandoned buildings, so there was no <laughs> there were no bump.
0: Yeah, no, that rules, though.
1: Yeah, cool.
0: Okay, speaking of the Riddler, though, like, what is the Riddler's deal? Mm -hmm. Like, I know you're... You have, like, a pretty deep knowledge of Batman lore, um, comparatively to me, at least. Uh, What is his deal? Okay, because, like... I don't know. Like, the Joker I kind of get on some level. um, Mm -hmm. And the Riddler is just, like... I'm, like, here... Because I'm also bringing this up because I I was looking at Dinosaur Comics today and and there is a a Riddler (laughs) comic.
1: Like... Ooh, that, sorry. So the, the Riddler, the Riddler is there's different ways to treat the character. One is he is a guy who wants to get caught, and so he leaves these clues. And that's okay. impulsive. And I think that's that's the way to do it. One of the more interesting one is he is a guy who is probably as smart as Batman, but wants to prove it. Mm. He went through his whole thing. He's the smartest guy. He's so clever. No one's as smart as him. Like that awkward, geeky guy at the back of the class who thinks. Since he's the smartest, he's also the best. And you just explode up that, that idea into this adult who now believes he's the smartest guy because he knows the most trivia. <laughs> and Batman shows up, and everyone loves him because he's smart, and he beats up criminals and does all this stuff. And Rose is like, fuck that guy. I'm the smartest. I'm going to prove it by making these death traps involving clues that he will be able to solve because he doesn't know as much about Game of Thrones as I do. <laughs> I think that's an interesting way to look at the characters. Like this, that the idea you see—it's and it's very common—the idea that like the more you know, the better you are.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I do believe that knowledge is an intrinsic good. But I also think there's more to being a well-rounded person than just knowing things. Mm-hmm. You need to do more than just know trivia. And Riddler's a guy who just knows trivia and refuses to admit that that's not enough. And is determined to prove that it can be enough by killing Batman.
0: Wow! You s- told me on Riddler. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was off the top of my head, and I'm like, that is a good, someone should
0: write that story. That's a good Riddler. You should write that Riddler. <laughs> yeah,
1: anyway, so that Riddler.
0: Now, DC, to me, is just like, I mean, I don't care. It's all comics, um, in one sense. But I um, i recently sat down and watched um, all of the cutscenes for this game, Injustice 2. Okay which is, I guess, like a DC, it's like a new DC video game. It's just like a Mortal Kombat-esque fighting game, but, like, there's a lot, a lot of cutscenes. It's like two, it's like a cinematic length film, if you just string them all together. And wow, does DC have some whack characters? (laughs) Like They're just, like, I feel like they gotta just lean into how weird these guys are, because, like, there is a, I don't know, maybe this is just because their properties have been so mishandled, but I'm just, like, like, just lean into the fact that there's a toy man who tortures Superman, who makes toys.
1: And there's, uh, you're talking to the guy who writes Squirrel Girl, who's, you know, not that removed from any of this. And Marvel has uh, the Tinkerer, who is not unlike the Toy Man, in that he builds stuff for superheroes and villains. And it's like, if you're a supervillain, but you're not smart enough to make your own suit, you go to the Tinkerer and he's like, yeah, you, you got a scorpion theme, I will build you a scorpion suit. <laughs> And, You know, thanks here's some money I stole from the bank in a you know a giant sack with a dollar sign on it. God, I love it. I love the. I feel like you know the history of comics where you have the golden age where everything's goofy, and the silver age things get more serious, and the bronze age everything's dark and gritty. And I feel like now we're moving a bit more towards embracing some of the the fun in these characters.
2: Yeah, like,
1: It can be dour and dark and and, and very serious, but it's also guy who dresses up like a bat. Punches criminals until I stop doing crimes, and it's fun there, right? <laughs> That's a fun concept. I want to read about that.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I agree one hundred percent. Um, and I think it's a real shame that especially with with DC, you've got Zack Snyder coming in and um just treating everything like like uh oh, so dour, so serious. Batman's gonna punch Superman. Uh, oh. like it's absurd. It's ridiculous.
1: Like, I mean, you, you have. I do want to see Batman punch Superman because I feel like. <laughs> and a lot of people didn't like. Uh, what was it? What was, was Man of Steel? The new one? Batman yeah. v Superman. And I walked into that and I've, I'm coming from the tradition of elseworld stories and what if stories where you can change. Like, an uh, elseworld story might be like, on this planet, it's the 1600s and Batman is a pirate. And I'm like, yes. All right. Mm-hmm. Tell me that story. <laughs> yeah. I'm on board. Joker is a competing pirate who everyone hates, called like The Man Who Laughs. I'm so here for this. What's the story you can tell given this premise? So watching Batman V Superman is like, oh, this is a movie in which Batman kills a lot and Superman also snaps next to solve his problems. So I'm not gonna sit with my arms crossed and say, This is this is not true of the character. I'm gonna sit there and say, okay, so what's what can you tell with this premise? Where can you go with this? Tell me what show me why you you made these choices,
0: I think that's a very mature approach to to this um yeah so so you and you came away with did you come away convinced of of what could be done with with those premises
1: uh i I'll, I'll tell you, the movie had me until the last ten minutes, I think, or kind of fell apart um, but i I think it's interesting, like the idea superhero movies most people who see superhero movies don't read comics, mm-hmm. right. And so for most people's idea of Captain America is not the 60-plus years Captain America has been published, it's the four or five movies that Chris Pine? I'm sorry. No, that's Thor.
0: No, nope, it's the, yeah, Pratt. It's definitely Chris Pratt. Pratt. <laughs> Chris
1: Pratt. One of the Chris's plays plays Captain America. That's who they think of. And so um, the modern idea of these characters is tied to the handful of movies they've been in, and none of these movies have really done anything with what's so fundamental in comics of taking the character and putting them in a different time Mm. or putting them in a different place or changing something. Like what if Iron Man was a dinosaur? You can do that in the comics, but you haven't seen that in movies. So I'm kind of there if they will start doing movies and saying, this is a, like Logan was like that. Logan was a movie that said, you know what? Forget the 19 X-Men movies that came before. Here's a different movie from the premise of what if Logan was old and what if the world sucked? Mm Mm-hmm. And it was a great movie. It was really good. And it doesn't really fit with everything else that came before, but that wasn't a problem. And I think the less, the more people start doing stuff like that, that'll free the genre from, from getting stale and being the same, you know, world ending blue light in the sky that we've seen. <laughs> times before.
0: Yeah. Um, that to me seems to be like a real problem or like the problem for this stuff is like this drive to have a unified like brand canon um, that everything has to interlock and everything has to be a piece that fits into this, this bigger picture. Um, and when you do that, then you have to start worrying about continuity and you have to start worrying about, like, are are these characters being depicted in the same way across these films? Then, like, are the settings consistent? And that, to me, I, I feel like just robs a lot of the potential from from those projects.
1: It's a double-edged sword, right? Because like the advantage of continuity is kind of what you saw in... Avengers movies where you could have Ant-Man show up and not have to do 10 minutes explaining who Ant-Man is, mm-hmm. what his powers are, what his motivation is. He just shows up and like, oh yeah, that guy. Mm-hmm. And there's a line of people who don't know him, but if they're curious, they can go see their movie. So it's a real shortcut for telling larger stories that we would not get to tell. But the downside is, if you're working in this shared universe and like you want to tell a story in which a character is having fun on Mars... And they say, oh, you can't. This character is currently dead on Earth. You go, well, I bring it back, and they say no. And you're like, well, that's too bad. (laughs) My story doesn't work, right? So there's, it it gives and it takes. But I think I'm excited about the idea of a larger continuity in the movies because that's also something that's been super interesting to the comics Mm
2: -hmm. since
1: almost the beginning. So, I mean, I feel like you can't deny that there's a a childish thrill seeing Superman and Batman together in the same movie. Like, what's going to (laughs) happen? Oh, they're killing a bunch of people. Okay, sure. I guess (laughs) just the fact that they're together is exciting, right? Like they called the movie Batman versus Superman. All that tells you is these two characters are in it. And at some point they're going to punch and that movie's (laughs) all this money. That's all. That's a very easy sell.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, that, that is, that is true. Um, and you're someone who, who like grew up on comics, right. And sort of got, Entrenched in like all of this, these different continuities?
1: Uh, not, not really, actually. Um, I grew up in a rural area, uh, Osgoode, which is half north south of Ottawa in Canada, and there wasn't a comic book store there. And this was well past the time we could buy them at newsstands. All I had was Archie Comics at the checkout. And so I remember being a kid and getting a Wonder Woman comic in my stocking and be like, this is the coolest thing. But I read it. And it was, you know, part seven of ten <laughs> no idea what was happening and that was the only comic I read until uh, basically I till I graduated high school got my first job With my first paycheck I went to a comic book store in the big city and picked up some books to read and that's when I got more into the the medium but I do not did not and do not have a real depth of continuity knowledge at all if you look at the first uh, trade of squirrel girl the first Dylan <laughs> she fights fights have all been in Marvel movies <laughs> <except> for Kraven, because <laughs> i have seen the movies. Like, oh yeah, I know Galactus. I know these people. <laughs> well, Iron Man. Yeah, I got it. So it's it's helped a lot to have things like all these wikis describing the characters' histories and stuff that you can read them and be like, yes, I do have a depth of knowledge. It also helped that I pitched Squirrel Girl as I was like, let's do this, uh, you know, all ages comic book. But let's make it accessible to people who don't have a huge amount of canon knowledge so that someone new can pick it up and not be lost secretly. I'll be the new person picking it up. <laughs> going to be lost. So it worked out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cause that is something that, um, you know, myself and like a lot of people I know who try to get into comics. And I think this is something that, that Marvel has been struggling with uh, lately is people who try to get into to comics um, or running series after they watch, like, an Avengers movie or something. But Mm -hmm. it's just, first of all, there's just a lot of work to figure out what's happening. And then also just, like, kind of the whole um, distribution system, I think, is really uh, unusual as well compared to, like, basically any other medium.
1: Yeah, I mean, the weird thing is, first, if you're telling someone who hasn't read, hasn't bought a floppy comic before in a comic book store. And they say, hey, I've got this new series coming out. And they say, great. And they, they say, you should buy it. And they say, I will. And you're like, well, you know, you can buy it when it comes out, but these stores have to order based on pre-orders. Mm-hmm. So you really have to go in and say, I want to buy this book. And if you wait for the trade, which seems reasonable, you can read in the book, the danger is that the book might be canceled before the trade comes out because so many people waited for the trade. And there's this whole almost education of how to buy comics that is not in other mediums, so it's that it's, it's, it's a challenge sometimes to for new people to figure out what 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 they're reading and what's the best way to to support it
0: yeah no it is it's tough um and I think people would be people outside of the the industry would be really surprised to learn how. All of those inner workings operate in terms of like distributors and pre-orders and all that stuff. Um, it's uh, it's really rough, especially for like for smaller um, publishers.
1: Yeah, but I mean, all that said, I think the thing I, one of the things I love about comics is that you look at mediums, you look at you look at Hollywood or, or movies, and that has this huge reputation people who are there who are big phonies who are there to make a quick buck. No one is making a quick buck in comics. <laughs> Everyone is in comics <laughs> because they love <laughs> the medium. Yeah. They love telling the story. No one's there to get rich because it's hard slash impossible to get rich doing comic books. Which means at, at conventions, when you're talking to your peers, even just online, everyone's there because they love it. And I haven't had a job before that felt that way. Even programming. like Programming, I did development for a long time, and there are people who hated development but liked money, <laughs> and so they're just there for the paycheck. And you could tell, looking at their code or looking at how they reacted to stuff, it was—it was just a job for them. And in comics, there's so much passion for the, the characters, for the form, for telling stories with words and pictures together. And that's really inspiring and really great. I think. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's there to too Like most writers have day jobs. Most prose authors are doing other stuff. They're doing it because they love it too. But I think it's especially visible in comics. So join comics, kids. You won't get rich, but you'll have a fun time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, yeah, that is, um, it is true. I mean, like, there's all kinds of weird issues. But, I mean, there are in in every medium. But it's true. Like, the people I know who work in comics are just incredibly passionate and doing, like, you know, um, just amazing, amazing work. Um, And it's, it's super cool. Like, it's exciting to... To be a comics fan i think right now like and even speaking as someone who doesn't read like a lot of stuff the things that i do read are like like really awesome and you don't necessarily have to you know read every um every like every series to know what's going on because like you mentioned earlier um people are so good about the wikis now that i feel like i can just be like who's this guy oh okay that's who he is cool like i just like read five minutes i'm like i'm i'm
1: good and the books themselves have changed to make it easier for new readers, too. Like, most Marvel books, Squirrel Girl included, start with a recap page saying, if this is the first comic you've ever picked up, here's what's happening. Right, Let's right. <laughs> and the other thing I like about comics is it's such a young medium. Like, the medium itself is around 100 years old, really. And there's stuff being done that hasn't been done before. The same in interactive fiction where, like, Jason Shiga is a cartoonist I love. And I, every time I read one of Jason Shiga's books... I see something I haven't seen done before with comics. And that's incredible.
2: Mm.
1: <laughs> I can't wrap my head around that. But this is a medium where you can still make fundamental discoveries, where you can still do something that hasn't been done before for the first time. That's really cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in that way, it's a lot like um, like interactive fiction. Yeah. Well, uh, do you want to move on to really the only segment that we do on the show? <laughs>
1: Right, this let's move the only
0: segment that we do want to okay. show. Okay, um, I think um, we may have, I may have neglected to inform you of it up front, but it's very low pressure, uh, it's very low stake, uh, it's called Get Wrapped. Get Wrapped. That name actually was thought up by my friend Michael DeForge, who is himself an, an incredibly accomplished comics yep. author. Um, Basically, this is a segment where uh, we each recommend something to our audience. So um, it can be any number of things. It could be a piece of media, and I think a lot of people do that, but it can be something more abstract, um, like a kind of practice, or it can be, you know, like a meal. It can really, really be anything. So um, uh, I, I think I did neglect to tell you about this up front, so I'm happy to <laughs> go <did>. first. <laughs> no,
1: I, I've got one. I've got one. You said meal like gave me an idea. Oh, good. So there is a meal that I eat at most once a year. And the reason I eat it so rarely is that it's so good, I feel like it's costing me something in a way I can't yet detect. Like, every time I eat this, I will live one year less than otherwise. (laughs) (laughs) So I treat it with the respect that I feel it's earned. But what it is, is there's a place in Toronto called the Black Hoof, and they serve bone marrow. And you have it on some toast with a bit of salt. And the flavor, it's so rich that it is like discovering a new flavor. (laughs) First time I had it, I was making a face. And my wife across the table said, if you hate it, you don't have to eat. And I was like, no, no, this face is so good. (laughs) Can't handle it. So I've had bone marrow before and it's been just okay. But... If you can get really good bone marrow, it is like nothing else I've had, and it's not really that challenging. It's just like a a fatty spread. You get to have a bone at the end. Bring it home to your dog. The dog will love you forever. (laughs) And it is one of the few meals I've had that I said I need to go do that again, but not right away (laughs) because I'm not sure what the cost is here.
0: yeah some kind of dark toll is being exacted right God, that sounds incredibly decadent and like and exactly yeah, I right. would feel the same way about just like oh this is some there's some tally someone some gremlin inside of me just chalked up another number on this wall
1: yeah, I like got finger curls closed, you are like how many more fingers are going to be there until I'm out of fingers <laughs>
0: <laughs> god um that's that's a good so you. The Black Hoof in Toronto does it?
1: Yes, um, uh, that's where I've, I've had the best boomer in my life. The Black Toronto, the chef there, she's amazing. Uh, I really recommend it.
0: Cool. Yeah. Um, I would say I would go next time I'm there, but I'm vegetarian, so am But I'm like curious now. <laughs> um, it's there are sometimes the
1: types... there's there's no vegetarian equivalent of boomer. Yeah. Bomber. like no, veggie grown. Uh, yeah. First.
0: There are things that people will will say sometimes, and I'm like, I'm just curious about trying that, but I feel like it might have some kind of a horrible effect on, on my body at this point. Oh, um, no,
1: this, this, thing, this is the thing. It will. Yeah. <laughs> you will. You'll be paying for it later. But maybe you think you're vegetarian, but you're actually like flexitarian, where mm. you'll you're vegetarian because you don't want to support the industrialized production of meat. But if the meat or the food or the bone marrow has been made outside the means of production, like say the chef is going to throw out this perfectly good food unless someone eats it, he's like, well, I can eat that food and save food from being wasted or throw it in the garbage. We party to, like, Western decadence. Maybe the ethical choice is to eat the bone marrow. <laughs> and it's <if you> <laughs> in the situation. Then...
0: And, I mean, if I don't eat the bone marrow, then the raccoons are just going to party down on that. So.
1: They will go to town.
0: Oh, man. I miss raccoons.
1: I don't. I don't know why you went there. They're I was walking under a tree with my wife, and it was like a cartoon where the tree was shaking, and there were noises that were just shrieks. I couldn't figure out if the raccoons were killing each other or like having amazing <laughs> raccoon sex. And we stood there and watched this tree shake like a cartoon tree for a minute, and the screams just kept coming. And then we're like, we should go. This is getting weird. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh I mean mm-hmm. raccoons are uh, notoriously perverts um yeah wait okay. are they I mean according to um dinosaur comics canon
1: oh yes, no they they are they are indeed um my favorite raccoon fact is that in German, I believe they're called wash bears, and that's because they wash their food, and if you want to prank a raccoon, <laughs> yeah. you a sugar cube and they'll wash in the water and be like, what, where'd my cube of sugar go' And that's how you get revenge on (laughs) raccoons.
0: I don't know why you'd want to. They're adorable. I love I love seeing those little guys just napping on on my neighbor's uh, garage in Toronto, just wandering around the street in the middle of the day because they don't know fear anymore.
1: Listen, I had a deck and a place I rented in Toronto, and raccoons were pooping on the deck all the time. And raccoon poop is the foulest stuff because they eat the foulest stuff. (laughs) I got these raccoons to stop pooping on my deck, and I tried mothballs, all these home remedies, none of them worked. My last was I thought, you know, raccoons are notoriously smart and belligerent and and weird. And I thought, humans feel shame. Maybe raccoons will feel shame. So I took a full-length mirror, I put it on the side, on that deck, so that when the raccoons were pooping, they'd see themselves pooping. (laughs) And it reduced the amount of raccoon poo I got on my deck. (laughs) So the whole remedy is, make the raccoons have to watch themselves defecate, and they're like, oh, I'm going to poop somewhere else. I felt shame for the first time in my
0: raccoon <laughs> That's I am impressed that you managed to shame a raccoon. That's
1: it was a last ditch effort. Yeah, had no other recourse. God. But Yeah, I shame raccoons with their own bodies. I have made them feel shame about their bodies. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now they know. They, it's like, yeah, no, they're more. They're, you've only made them more human, though.
1: <laughs> no, so short term, that's, that's great, well,
0: but long term.
1: Yep. Yeah, they'll start like freaking out beginnings of words. Like, why?
2: <laughs>
0: God, that God. That now I'm just. Oh. well, I don't seem to have any down here. Um, I'm sure there are there are raccoons in New York, aren't there? But I don't see them anywhere. No one talks about them.
1: Raccoons. I mean, Toronto's known for raccoons. New York is known for those like fearless giant rats.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: Probably ate the raccoons. Oh i don't know i don't know the circle of life
0: yeah it's beautiful in a, in a horrible way um mm-hmm. just crack them open and just sucked out that bone marrow
1: you invite me on your show and i'm like you know what you're vegetarian but let's talk about eating the stuff inside the bones of animals let's
0: talk about the bone guts let's talk about the guts of the bones that they have
1: that consuming those guts
0: <laughs> oh yeah um my recommendation this week is coffee naps. Um, are you on this? Are you on this coffee nap
1: train? No, I I don't even know what it is.
0: Oh my god! I assumed you would know. It's okay.
1: I don't drink coffee.
0: Oh, okay, well then you're exempt. Um,
1: we're two different worlds. We are vegetarian <laughs> and a coffee
2: drinker.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, you're just you're just snacking on some marrow. I'm just drinking my coffee. But why don't we have to talk? Uh, uh, we're two
1: strangers. <laughs> so that sounds like the opposite of what coffee supposed to do
0: yeah, no it's 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 enhances coffee so here's what you do okay if if you are someone who drinks coffee someone who takes naps what you want to do is you want to just take take a a glass of that that dark bean juice that you love and put that in your mouth and drink it and then you want to take a nap immediately right and here's what that's gonna do According to an article that I found to explain this and is probably true, it's going to cut your adenosine, which is, you know, something that, that accumulates while you're awake and dissipates while you're asleep. Um, and so it's going to cut down on that. And the caffeine isn't going to be battling with this this drowsiness compound. And when you wake up, that caffeine is going to kick in almost immediately. And so you're basically taking the limiters off, uh, off your alertness uh, brain by by napping for 20 minutes right after drinking coffee. And it's the best. I don't nap very often, but when I do, I'll usually pull one of these. And it's like just such a pro strat of napping. It's a high level nap technique. Right. Um,
1: Given your explanation of this, wouldn't it work equally well to have a nap and then have some coffee instantly upon waking up because those chemicals will already be reduced from the nap.
0: Yeah, but caffeine takes about thirty minutes to really kick in.
1: Oh, I didn't know that.
0: Yeah. So
1: uh, I see. This he, is this is next level. Yeah. It's like a body hack. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: It's 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 a hack. It's a body hack. It's a life hack. It's you know. You like, wake up. and
1: I can see through time. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh,
0: yeah, basically. It's great. I love it. Um I, I'm not a big napper because well historically I would try and take a nap and sleep for like five hours. Um yeah. which is no, it's it's not good for anybody. It's nobody's friend.
1: You're just too good at naps. You start going and you just can't stop.
0: It's true, yeah. It's the Pringles of napping. Um But uh <laughs> this is it's good. I, I recommend this technique for for everyone who, who drinks coffee. Uh, it's it's a good move. So the try way you can
1: describe drinking coffee is like you know you get some of that that bean juice and you put it in here in your cup and you consume it as a coffee drinker. It makes me feel like you've never actually. Been <laughs> coffee. No. I, like, oh, I mean, oh, no. Coffee
0: I love <laughs> the that you know that that strong smelling uh, ground, ground slurry.
1: Yeah, I love to purchase it and consume it at my local. Coffee shop.
0: It comes from a tree somewhere. I, and um, it's. Uh, you have to cook it first. And then you have to kind of cook it a second time in water, though.
1: Um, Listen, you should join me and the people who admit they don't drink coffee. They're doing this pose that nobody is buying.
0: Never. I will never drop my facade.
1: <sighs> I love to drink coffee beans.
0: It's I just like a super eat them. Hot.
1: It's a bean soup. Just toss them in some soup. Take it out of the soup afterwards.
0: Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'll just leave them in, you know? Just get that, you know, like a crunchy peanut butter, but it's like a crunchy coffee.
1: I'm afraid I wouldn't know because I'm living my truth.
0: Uh, Well, you've ascended, I guess. Um, I'm just still down here on Earth with the fake coffee drinkers, but... uh,
1: I mean, the real coffee drinkers. Yeah,
0: just... (laughs) that's that's what i meant to say is that we'll we'll edit that we'll cut that we'll, we'll cut that out um
1: well, i'll tell you uh, if i do start drinking coffee i will try this coffee nap thing that it just sounds like a way to get really jazzed for a bit and yeah
0: then crash. yeah and then oh oh immediately crash oh you'll you'll be yeah you'll be sleeping for days um but that half hour it's gonna be sweet thank you so much for coming on this has been super fun um you have so many things out and coming and going on, but do you want to plug anything in particular before we go?
1: Um, I think people should read The Beautiful Squirrel Girl that I write, and they should read, that's from Marvel, and they should read Dinosaur Comics at dinosaurcomics.com. And, you know, read everything I write. <laughs> it's pretty good.
0: I will I'll go beyond that it is it's extremely good um Perfect. and yeah people should definitely get get in some comics I okay so I want to add one thing about Squirrel Girl before um before we go I was walking home earlier today and I saw the top like third of a bus shelter ad and um right. it was like it just said Katherine Heigl and then it said Squirrel Power and I was like what that's not, there's not a squirrel, I would have heard about this. And also, Katherine Heigl is kind of an odd choice. Um,
1: that's what this is referring to. This is news to me.
0: Yeah, I know. I was so confused for a second. I was like, no, surely I would have heard if there was a Squirrel Girl movie. And I sort of walked around this truck that was parked in front of the bus, uh, and um, it was actually an ad for a film called Nut Job 2, in which Catherine Heigl plays a very um, sensual squirrel. So, uh, so that was not a squirrel girl thing, but it, it really did trip me up for a second. Um, I wasn't aware there was a nut job one, so I'm, I guess, really behind on the culture.
1: I, I wasn't either. It's my business to be keeping abreast of what's happening in Squirrel, So don't feel bad. Okay.
0: <laughs> well, thank you again so much for coming on. This has been, this has been great. Um, and, uh, yeah, I hope you have a great weekend and I will talk to you later.
1: You too. Thanks for having me. Bye. Bye.
0: Woodland Secrets is hosted by Mary Kay and produced and edited by me, Nick Bravo. Woodland Secrets is a part of Stay Mean, the world's only podcast network. We're entirely listener-supported. If you enjoy the show, please consider becoming a patron of Stay Mean at woodlandsecrets.co support. For as little as three bucks a month, you'll get access to a monthly newsletter and frequent bonus episodes of our shows. If you'd like to have a message read on the show, Head to woodlandsecrets.co/slash messages. You can help people find out about the show. Please mention us on Twitter. We're at Woodland Podcast and at Stay Mean Co. Or rate and review us in iTunes. We really appreciate it. Thanks for listening.